and welcome to this month's episode of Focal Point. I'm Harriet, your host, and I'm joined by the rest of the IMV clinical team. So a big hello to Laura, Sam and Amy. Hello, everyone. Hi, everyone. Hi, everybody. This month, we welcome large animal vet and IMV brand ambassador Hazel Mullins to the podcast. Hazel is a large animal clinical director at Highfield Veterinary Group in Kildare Island. And when she's not out on farm, can be found posting fantastic educational content on her social media page, Vet on the Move. So welcome to the podcast, Hazel. Thank you so much, guys, for having me on. I'm delighted. Excited as well. No, no, thank you so much for joining us. So, Hazel, tell us about your veterinary journey so far. My veterinary journey so far um, has been exciting. I've loved every minute of it. It's been varied. Um, I graduated in 2013 from Nottingham University. So I was this uh, very naive Irish girl, hopped on a plane over to Nottingham and hadn't really a clue where I was going or what I was doing. Um, barely got through the interview, I think, by the skin of my teeth, because I had no idea what it was all about. And again, yeah, very naive about it all. And then, um, yeah, so six years, six of the best years of my life uh, in Nottingham, made a wonderful friends. And um, yeah, just a fantastic university to go to. And uh, I know that, uh, you know, all universities are good and everyone has great experiences, but I must say I'm a bit biased towards Nottingham. I do love it. And um, so then 2013 came home uh, to Ireland and worked in the beautiful southwest in County Kerry. So in Killarney, so had the beautiful lakes and the mountains. And it was more of a very mixed practice. So lots of um, dogs and cats. But I think I'd say it was pretty much a third, a third, a third that it was kind of dogs and cats dairy cows, beef, cattle, sheep, uh, and then there was horses as well. Uh, so I really got a good overall introduction into kind of veterinary. And then uh, about a year and a half later, I moved to a more dairy focused practice in West Cork. So if anyone knows West Cork, it is full of dairy cows. Um, so lots of dairy cows and it's absolutely stunning down there as well. So I've been very lucky with my first um, couple of jobs, very scenic parts of Ireland um, so, yeah, so that's where my kind of real love of dairy started uh, in a practice called Glasslin Vets. It's an XL practice down in Bandon and had two and a half wonderful years there and then moved up to kind of my home practice where I would have seen all my placement. And, you know, it was always maybe a dream to get back there. And uh, it, it was a fantastic four years spent there the last four years. And that was Abbeville in Cork so yeah again lots of dairy cows I was a uh, I did a bit of small animals in, in in West Cork but generally in in Abbeville in in around Cork City it was all large animal so it was uh, I think I did two small animal clinics a week uh, so two hours of small so I was definitely uh, mostly a large animal vet and that's kind of where I suppose I started my my blog and kind of vet in the move kind of started in 2018 when I was in Abbeville and they were all kind of looking at me kind of what are you doing Hazel and you know the farmers then copped on to it as well and they were like is this going to be on the Instagram and yeah so it was it was a it was a good a great four years and I just left uh, there in August and I've now joined Highfield Veterinary which is uh, the first Irish corporate um, veterinary company so we have um, about nine practices now mostly small but there's two large animal practices and I am the large animal clinical director. So I kind of, I suppose, a lot of mentoring young vets, uh, farmers education, um, and then I do a bit of herd health as well. So it's 
I don't do on call anymore. Um, and I, you know, I do miss going out on farms every day and pulling calves and things like that. And, you know, I used to TB test a lot as well. And yeah, it's, it, you know, I was just part, came to a kind of step in my life where I said, look, a change won't do me any good, harm. And uh, yeah, really enjoying the new challenge of it. And yeah, really enjoying the job currently. So yeah, that's my journey so far. <laughs> and how did you find going from, you know, veterinary associate to clinical director? Was it a big jump for you or you just naturally slotted into the role? Uh, I think I was, again, quite naive because I didn't realise that I had to manage people, really. So it's, um, yeah, I've never really managed anyone before. And, you know, it's very much... I suppose in clinical practice, you you value you kind of value your day on how many cows you saw, how many TB tests you did, and it's it's very much numerical. Whereas this type of job is meeting people, having chats, maybe trying to organise things in the background. There's a lot more, um, kind of I suppose people in it rather than animals, and it's yeah, it's very rewarding. I'm really enjoying the challenge. Um. And yeah, it's it's all about kind of putting leadership skills into practice and things like that. So yeah, it's something completely that I haven't done before, um, but I think I'm getting on okay. <laughs> How are you finding mentoring young graduates and teaching now that you're a clinical director? Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's, a, I think every young graduate is very different and some will come to you a lot more for help and some will, you know, just kind of be in the background and if they if they really need you they'll they'll come to you and I think it was at the start I had to get used to that because I just thought that they'd all come to me all the time for questions and I was kind of going why why aren't these people coming and why are you know and actually it's just making sure that they know that you're there and kind of putting a bit of structure in but not smothering them either um, and letting them kind of do their own their own thing and follow their path and I suppose with large animal veterinary as well they're out in their cars, they're out on farms. It's not like you can kind of be in the clinic, what keep an eye on them the whole time. So you kind of do rely on a lot of communication between between you and the young vet. So just even saying, oh, what did you see today? How did you get on with that? And yeah, it's a different type of mentoring, I suppose, than a small animal maybe um, clinical director would would do. It's 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 because obviously you're not with them all the time, and you can't be. Uh, over their over their shoulder all the time but yeah it's 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 great I really enjoy it I love I love having students um I'm involved in organizing all the kind of externships and um student placements and everything and I'm always like you know sending them really nice emails going hope your studies are going well and how are things and yeah I just find you know there were so many vets very kind to me when I was a student so I always think okay well I would love to be treated like the way I was treated so I, I I always try to put that in the forefront of my mind and yeah just be there if if there's questions just be there and try and organize I know good CPD constantly not just leave you to one part of the year having a constant flow of, of education and yeah it's it's a learning process but getting there yeah yeah it's definitely something that's familiar to me I very much remember being a student and um those vets who really invested in you or helped you you remember thinking when you know when when I'm a vet I want to do the same for other students because uh, you realize at the time how mm-hmm. important that is and how much it means to you um, as a student or, or or a young vet so do, do you do much by way of um actual sort of clinical teaching or support yourself as well as the sort of the more mentor mentorship and a sort of administration side of things 
Yeah, so we're hoping to really get that up and running because we're such a new company as well. Like my idea now would be, you know, to work perhaps with with you know on the scanning side of things, and we have we have wonderful farms with lovely rotary parlors that we could use, and we kind of want to maybe do like I was talking to Harriet maybe about doing like some sort of pre breeding day and that kind of thing, and then we do go to the abattoir and practice surgeries there before. So say now there was a, a spastic paresis surgery coming up, which is you know in the hind limb of a of an animal and you have to find the nerve and cut it and it's it's quite technical so we did we did a bit of abattoir training um where we went and and practiced before we went and 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 did it and I suppose for me I'd love to be out and about a bit more with them um but I have I suppose a lot of more admin and office work to do but yeah I'm I'm trying to get that balance and I would love to really implement a lot of kind of really on pra- on farm practical sessions, and I think that's key to keeping keeping young vets interested as well, and just keeping their knowledge up. And and because when they come out of when they come out of uni, like they know a lot. Um, there's a lot of information in their heads, and they might know that they do, but there is, and they'll come out with you know the name of like a very peculiar muscle in the forelimb of and like I'm like god I didn't even know that existed and um, but then it's like actually the practical skills then just need to be put into place so the knowledge is there but they just yeah it's it's just getting those practical um skills ticked off and making sure everyone is happy so for new graduates that are coming out of practice what is your number one tip before they go on farm I remember when I was a new grad mixed vet I used to be terrified going on to some big dairy farms um, and not knowing what I might encounter. I think get as much information about the call from whoever took the call as as you can. Maybe even ring for your first couple of calls anyway. Look, you know, if you have a mentor, ring that mentor on the way and just just even talk through, okay, I've been told that this weanling has pneumonia am I right in thinking I'm going to go in and do this and do this and do this? And I just think after a couple of calls, you won't need to do it. But I just think don't be afraid to actually ring someone and say, right, I'm on the way to John Murphy. And what, what lie, this is what I've been told. Am I right in thinking that this is what I'm going to do? And there's no, there's no shame in that. And I think just being able to pick up the phone and actually, you know, actually cheeky phone calls. So if you're if you're on farm and you have no idea what's going on, just be like, I'm just going to get something from the car. <laughs> and then just I used to, you know, kind of get into the front seat and make a cheeky phone call. And, you know, I'd say 80 percent of the time I was on the right track. But there's sometimes look, we're all going to be the new grad is the first couple of months are always going to be a bit wild, but just have confidence in your, in your knowledge as well. You're a vet, you went through five or six years of university and you know what you're doing. It's just getting that reassurance and um, don't be afraid to pick up the phone. Yeah. I was just going to ask, how did uh, you get into scanning as a new graduate? Um, Just, was it really a case of just practice, 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 or did you get a chance to go out with somebody who showed you the ropes? And what was, what was your story behind improving really yeah so in my first practice we didn't do a lot of scanning actually and it was just uh, because it was a very much more of a mixed practice and we had a scanner in the in the practice but um I used to do a little bit but I wouldn't have said on it was more when I got into my first job or my second job sorry that I because it was very dairy focused that's where I really um I knew how to use the scanner I knew what I was looking for but that's when 
and it was it was going to organized courses as well just going and getting the theory even being with peers of my own age and just seeing okay they're at the same level of me as me it's okay and obviously I was I was a year and a half graduated by the time I really picked up my scanning skills and that's okay like you don't have to come out first day it depends what type of practice you're in of course if it's a real I know in the UK it's every you know all practices kind of do routines and they go on the go on farm a lot in Ireland it's seasonal so seasonal calving so generally around September August September is when we would do a lot of pregnancy scanning and then we would do pre-breeding April and May and into June so there is kind of a seasonal aspect of it so um yeah, like, so again, it, it was hard to get on farm scanning every week. And I used to bring the home, I'm very lucky I have my own farm at home. So I used to bring the home the scanner and like just go scanning random cows. They could have been, I don't know, seven months in calf or they could have, you know, it was, it was, it was just getting the feel of it. And actually, yeah, it is a numbers game, really. It is just getting out or even shadowing a vet and, you know, scanning maybe behind them or whatever. And, and, and just, yeah getting the feel for it tuning your eye in I think is a massive is a massive thing and obviously since I graduated I think the quality of scanners has really improved and now like I use your easy scan go I'm and like you know it's brilliant and you've got it on the phone and you can like even if you're unsure you can measure it and I was showing all the new grads the other day how to use the app well we had a day on farm and there was one actually one one guy was missing from that um session so he came up to me he's like Hazel can you explain the app and it was actually he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I was showing him how to, we just pretended there was a calf on the screen because we were in the office, but like showing him how to measure. And I said, look, you know, if you have the farmer holding the phone and you have the goggles and, you know, you could say, oh, well, look, we'll sh- even if you're not sure, just be like, oh, look, we'll just measure it there on your phone and I'll, we, we can see how old it is. You know, there's there's ways of, of and obviously AI dates as well. You can get farms with AI dates. That is a dream because, you can tune your eye into, okay, she should be a hundred days in calf. Okay. Yeah. That's what a hundred days in calf looks like. The next one is probably going to be around the hundred days. Cause in Ireland, they're all generally around the same ish within kind of three months. Um, so you're going to see a lot of hundred day cow- cows if you're scanning a hundred cows. So it, yeah, it's just practice and really, and I think as well, tuning into small little things. So I know like at 55 days, I can see the bones getting calcified um I know 42 days is 2.2.4 centimeters so you swap around just getting a few because like I'm I fell into the trap of being a new grad and getting out the 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 aging charts and trying to memorize them and it was a disaster because you get on farm then you're like oh god oh god but actually if you just remember a couple of them the other ones will, will slot in and it's just yeah picking out what makes sense to you in your brain and how your eyes see it and what works for you mightn't work for someone else. So you have to kind of figure out your own system. So that's kind of my tips. Yeah, those are really great tips, um, Hazel. I think it's really important for people to practice because I think sometimes with um, routines and farm practice is one of the classical kind of traps that people fall into is that, especially when you're new, is that sense that you have to do it very, very quickly. They're sort of always in, in kind of bovine kind of practice with routines and PDs. It seems to be this sort of thing. This, this I don't know if it's a historic thing, but this hangover to how fast you can do it, whereas you, you're not going to be quick mm. um, when you first start scanning. And 
and it's far better for people to take their time and get used to kind of actually doing quite a methodical examination because in the long run if you start kind of being thorough and you can see the ovaries and you can see all of the kind of parts of the uterus it's going to stand you in a lot better stead than kind of rushing through because you've got to be able to do x number in x amount of time and things like that as well so it's definitely it's definitely a good thing for people just to keep take their time and, and practice and like you say you will you will get there it's a it's a practical skill at the end of the day isn't exactly it? and actually I had a farmer said to me one time he had a vet out and he, you know I was doing pre-breeding scanning so I was looking at the ovaries and I was looking at the uterus and and then I put on like a clean glove and have a look at the you know the vagina and everything and um he was like gosh I had a vet one time and he was so fast I don't think he was looking at anything you know so actually he actually wanted me to spend time on each cow looking for what I was trying to find and making sure that I was looking at everything and actually you never know like what farmers are thinking sometimes you, you might think they're like oh god he's thinking I'm spending ages here now but actually he's probably he could be thinking oh she's very thorough or he's very thorough he's she's making sure now that everything is right so yeah speed forget about speed just make sure that you know what you're looking at and um yeah that's I fell into that trap as well we all do but I think you just have to get that out of your head about speed and you know actually maybe get get onto your bosses and say oh look you know who are nice farmers to start out with who's going to be patient with me or you know who's going to be happy like especially like with with the fact with the apps now and things you can see like who's going to be interested in seeing what I'm seeing because that'll help make conversation at the at the cow it'll be like oh look do you see that that's the you know the heartbeat or you know so it, it's all about making the whole experience more engaging I think yeah oh you you pretty much led on to it for me there Hazel what I was going to say was what I think is really great about the easy scan go software is the fact that you can project what you're seeing with your scanner onto multiple devices um, and yeah. it's really interesting for the farmers and yeah. stockmen to to see what you're seeing do you find that that kind of strengthens the bond between vet and farmer and they get more of an idea of what you're looking at and how technical it can be when you're scanning I think so and I suppose in days gone by if you were going out scanning you might have those big tele scanners you know and um, they're they're thinking back to then and actually they haven't probably seen what's on your screen for years because the, they didn't you know the goggles were in your eyes and actually bringing that back onto farm is really nice and I think as well I just think sometimes like pregnancy like every pregnancy in a cow is special and I think to make that a bit of a of a of a you know a delight and also be like oh look at there and and even you know show how you measure it and show like that your act there is a there is a, a process in measuring and you know it's not the easiest thing either like this little fetus is moving around sometimes and it's hard and actually freezing it and properly having a look at it is is a great way of doing it and and I think yeah it's really engaging and the farmers the farmers I've done it on love it um and they they really enjoy it so it's uh it's just now you will get some farmers that that you know they don't they don't they don't mind they don't care but it's it's those farmers that really do look into uh, especially ones that are really interested in breeding and they're like oh there's um there's a red there's a I don't know a, a Norwegian red straw on her and is it a heifer or is it a but you know those kind of farmers and, and really making the whole breeding side of 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 dairy practice or even you know beef beef practice everything um yeah I just I just really enjoy it and um 
I miss doing it as much as I used to, to be honest, but I'm trying, I'm like, oh, will we do like a scanning session next week um, with, with, the, with the young vets? So yeah, look, um, the pre-breeding season isn't too far away. So it's been quite quiet on the scanning front here in Ireland at the moment. It's February now, so haven't long to wait until we're flat out again. It's really nice to hear you say that every pregnancy is special and you still get quite excited by seeing the fetuses because um, when we're scanning ourselves as well, we, we still get excited every time you do find a pregnancy. It's it's always quite nice and it yeah. it's great that even after, you know, tens of thousands of cows, it's it's still exciting and that you're, you're getting really good images and everybody's enjoying that. So it's just really nice to hear you say that. Still waiting for the triplets, Amy. Still holding on for the triplets and <laughs> um, we put one on the instagram recently we had um we had a video sent in of triplets it was pretty cool have you seen that i one? have i was very yeah jealous. it's really cool. i think i wrote i think i wrote under it i'm so jealous i haven't seen this yet <laughs> it was so there's always things that you haven't seen and you can you you know you just never know what you're going to see um and i remember um being at a talk once and they um i think it was um uh, Peter May, isn't it? He's he's brilliant, and he was saying about he was saying about um, he scanned a cow, I scanned a cow, and he thought it was something funny, and it just looked a bit odd. And he he said he swore he could see two heads, and then he went back a couple of weeks later, and he said, "Yeah, there's definitely two heads," and um, yeah, so the cow had a two-headed calf, and they knew it. Uh, yeah, it was mad. So. I don't know. Just, just leaning on know. from that, have you, I mean, you've probably got mountains of stories, but is there anything really that sticks in your mind of kind of the good, the bad and the ugly of cases that you've seen on farm? Oh, I, I think I've been a very boring um, scanning person. Well, I have had a two-headed calf, but unfortunately I hadn't scanned that cow um, beforehand. But it was one of those moments where it was like, and it was it was actually born naturally because it was a twin, so it was small. So I arrived on farm and imagine like coming about coming to the back of the cow, and there was just this two two heads like connected like what like two noses, and like the, but there was only two eyes. Apparently, if there was four eyes, it was incredibly rare. But apparently, two eyes kind of shared. Anyway. It was the most bizarre thing. And I it was before the whole Instagram thing. It was probably like 2016 when I took a photograph. I used to send it to all my friends. It was like my party trick at Christmas. They were like, Hazel, will you show us that picture of the two-headed calf? And of course, because it was still kind of in the cow, like, you know, it was it just looked really dramatic. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that was one of them. I think, you know, you've got your schistosomes are always quite dramatic and I'm really increased. And in, I don't know, I used to see... I think I saw five of them last year in practice in spring. And, you know, then there's some people that don't see them at all. So obviously there is a genetic element somehow. And, and I'm sure if I went and, and checked every AI straw, maybe there might have been a connection, maybe. I don't know. But there was um, they're always interesting. They're the inside out calves. So, um, yeah. And then I haven't had I haven't had one where I pulled and it was alive and, you know, the heart was beating. I hear stories of that, um, which is, is quite gruesome um and yeah like uh, scanning I'm still waiting for the triplets as I said um and yeah it's always lovely to get the twins and see the twins that's always a good a good moment when you actually you know and you you get them at that stage because in Ireland a lot of people might scan quite later and it's hard to actually find them um whereas I know in the UK like they're kind of 
a lot of the a lot of the scanning is around the 35 days 40 days and yeah some of the some of the cows I could be scanning sometimes are just to see are they empty or not and you know they could be seven or eight months they could be six seven months in calf um so it's very hard to know when you've got all these cotyledons and feet and everything looking at you and what you have but yeah I'm sure there's loads I I always said I should have written down all these mad things that happened on farm but yeah they kind of you you move on and you, you the next day then something else happens and you just forget yeah, no, you get great stories. I have there so many friends and colleagues who always say they should write a book, isn't it? It's a classic kind of bet thing. Oh, I should have written all this down and wrote a book about it. Um, all the the weird, the weird and wonderful stories and things um, from it. <laughs> I was just interested because we've talked a lot about um, ultrasound from a kind of reproductive sense. Um, I mean, some things I think sometimes people, in a way, sometimes is uh, ultrasound underutilized on farms is for, for just other mm-hmm. other things um so i mean do you do you have much sort of experience or situations you've kind of applied it to out with reproduction and you sort of think pe- we could be using it more in other areas or, or, or in other situations on farm yeah so i think um the thoracic ultrasound is one of these things that i i think popularity is growing and you know i was i gail um holloway did a, a talk the other night on on ultrasound scanning and thoracic ultrasound and and I think it's one of those things that when you're doing herd maybe calf out calf outbreaks of investigations it's definitely something that look I'll put my hand up I have only used it once or twice on on really bad calves but I think it could be definitely used in kind of a group situation to maybe show farmers that there's actually damage done that he didn't probably realize has been done um or she has realized it's been done um so um yeah so that's definitely one thing I suppose on farm for me would be like I would have ultrasounded like hernias um kind of the weird and wonderful lumps that you'd find um you know I know it's kind of reproduction again but you know these kind of abscesses inside um that you you know when you when you put your hand in there's something kind of not quite right maybe there's there's a hard swelling or a soft swelling um again like you know tumors inside sometimes you might feel something and it's great to be able to to use it for that because yeah like sometimes obviously you'd wish you'd x-ray vision to know what's going on but actually having the scanner in your car can just rule out like oh well look I can see that there's kind of a lot of you know fibrous tissue in it and there's this kind of fluid and I think it's an abscess or or whatnot or else with the hernias to make sure that there's no intestines in them and uh, I think the thoracic ultrasound as well will definitely be a thing in the future that I, I think it will be coming out of our cars a lot quicker when we're going to pneumonia investigations I think in future because I think it's an extra tool that's you know probably underutilized at the moment but I think with the with a bit of an educational push I think the popularity is going to grow. I think it's really useful for demonstrating to farmers um, the pathological changes for sure because they can kind of appreciate um, how severe the changes are inside and maybe understand a little bit better how potentially that mm-hmm. those calves or that calf might not ever be quite as good um, as its cohorts that, that didn't get mm. bovine respiratory disease. So um, being able to visually show um, farmers, you know, what's happening is is hugely valuable again. So, Yeah, and Sophie, Sophie Mandrahan is, was in my year and I know she did a talk for you, um, a webinar uh, the other day and I, I was uh, glued to it. I had loads of notes written down and everything. She made it very simple. Um, so... Yeah, you know, webinars like that, 
education to vets, I think it's it's going to be the future. What would you say are the proportions in Ireland of lay scanners um, against vet scanners in, in practice? You've seen quite a lot of lay scanning and, and how do farmers feel about that kind of thing? Yeah, there is a lot of lay scanning and, um, you know, there's some there's some excellent lay scanners in Ireland. I, I you know, they 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 do a lot of they do a lot of numbers. Uh, so, again, it's a it's it's a lot of practice. And um, yeah, I suppose, look, I would say that the pre-breeding side of it is is a is a real probably niche market that we have as vets because obviously there's pathology sometimes involved there's hormones there's there's things that aren't you know functioning correctly and you know we have to use our clinical knowledge as well to figure out plus what we're seeing on the screen to make up a diagnosis and a plan for that that individual cow and every cow gets an actual you know proper plan whether it's just a shot of estimate or whether it's a proper sinking program uh whether it's a, a washout or you know there's something that could be done um maybe they have an abscess inside you know so i do think that vets that's probably a real area where vets are you know do bring something to the table um with the scanning no pressure at all but if there is one piece of kit that you always ensure is in your van mm. what is it yeah um piece of kit I we won't say, throw you off I the podcast my, at least. I could say my easy scan go but I think a halter or um what else I suppose my my agar's pump as well like I do think but yeah I think safety is a big thing for me so halters and uh, nose tongues um sedation everything that kind of makes makes my life a little bit safer on farm is always a plus and I always try and make sure that the young vets that I mentor as well aren't afraid to you know walk away from a cow that's absolutely a lunatic or use sedation I think there's there's this there's this kind of feeling that maybe using sedation in 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 farm animal is is a sign of weakness or something and oh sure I'll be fine I'll just get kicked five or six times and I know safety Safety is a big thing for me, and I really like to push it with every vet that I meet. And actually, a lot of vets around my era, if you talk to them, um, their their usual um, their usual mantra is sedate, sedate, sedate. <laughs> and it's 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 are you yeah? And I back when I was a young vet, I was I'd be like, oh, what happens if she falls over, or what happens, you know? And actually, your safety is more important. And if she falls over, we can manage it. It's okay. But you know, there's very good sedations out there with great doses. So yeah, safety things, halters. And I actually, I use a thing called an easy boss, a um, kind of distraction device as well um, for kind of mad, more, maybe more the sucklers. And it just kind of distracts them. It's like, um, it's like a dosing drenching gun and you kind of put it into their mouth, but it goes a bit further back into their esophagus and it, they just chew on it and it just distracts them and releases endorphins. So my friend always says it's like fear free, fear free veterinary for um, for for large animals. So, yeah, we're doing our bit. <laughs> I find the conversation around um, safety quite interesting, especially when it comes to sedation, because I, I find exactly the same as you. There's often a lot of pressure on us as vets to not use sedation. And sometimes I think um especially as young vets, you get worried that you're getting judged on whether you have to use sedation or not. And that might be a reflection of how good you are as a vet. And it's it's so mm. wrong, isn't it? 
Um, Because at the end of the day, it's the procedure and the outcome that you should be judged for, I guess, and also judging yourself for and for, you know, be feeling proud of. Um, And it's not even just the safety aspect, is it? So by using sedation, yes, you know, you're making sure that you're safe, but you're also making sure that the patient's safe, the farmer or whoever's handling the animals are safe, um, your equipment is safe. Like the number of times that, you know, relatively expensive pieces of kit can get uh, quite badly damaged from uh, an animal um, that, for example, has kicked it that otherwise wouldn't have done if it was sedated. Um, it happens quite frequently. But then also when you think about, um, you know, whatever it is that you're doing that you might need to sedate for, if you do end up sedating, you're often quicker, you're more relaxed, you're much more likely to get a hugely better diagnostic test or whatever it is that you're doing or outcome. So, I mean, for me, it's just, it's just a no brainer. I mean, I'm, I'm in the same, the the same, uh, the same side as you. I'm like sedate, sedate everything. If, If there's no reason not to, then do it because, you know, you're safe, everyone's safe, and you get a much, much better outcome as a result of it. So it's, um, I'm hoping it's, it's a bit of a mindset that might be uh, on the out, as is what I'm hoping. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Laura, as well. It's, um, if you think about, actually, if you describe it to somebody, um, just a, a member of the public doing a cesarean or a DA off or something on a cow, and the fact that we use plenty of local anaesthetic and, and um, power lumbar blocks and things like that, Nine times out of ten, a member of the public will say, um, the animal not anaesthetized or or anything at all. And you're like, no, totally conscious. But actually, if you think about it, an animal that large that's feeling hormonal and is in pain and is distressed, if you're not giving sedation, are you are you really wise, to be honest? Like, um, much better to use sedation rather than getting a kicked five times and then the cow gets so cross that she sits down and then you, you end up with a tail swishing in your wound and things like that. Like it's um all for it as well. Yeah. I hope so. I definitely agree with you. <laughs> yeah, sedate, sedate, sedate. <laughs> I think the other thing, uh, the other way to look at it is that, you know, if you've ever had something like this done to yourself, like you've had anything under local anaesthetic, um, yes, you can't feel the pain and discomfort associated with it, but you can still feel it. Um, and that isn't necessarily a, a pleasant feeling. Um, I, I do this quite a lot, I think. Any experiences that I've had, um, I try and relate it to my patients. And actually, it's I, I think I have a much sort of deeper understanding of why I might want to do something, why I might not want to do something. Um, so, yeah, I think if anything's going to be painful, even if you take away that pain with local anaesthetic, it makes sense to anesthetize or sedate them uh, as well, because it's still not going to be a pleasant, normal experience for them. Yeah, and I think sedations have come a lot. You know, there's 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 more on the market now. There's a lot of different, you know, dose rates rates that have been investigated, and yeah, it's just one of those things that I yeah I had a conversation with young vets the other morning actually about it and. They were like, really? Would you would you sedate them now for an LDA? And I said, God, yeah, I'd always uh, give them a little, a little bit just to take the edge off because you're in there with your hand and you're trying to get a um the abomasum like from one side of the cow underneath the rumen and like you just you don't want them to be moving around and kicking and everything and like literally by the end of the stitch up and by the time you're kind of putting your boots in the car again they're they're absolutely you know they're not even sedated anymore they just walk out of the crush and they're they're kind of like oh did that happen or yeah but obviously 
there is the mad lunatics then that no matter how much sedation you give them, they still they still try and kick you. Um, but look, I think facilities on farms as well have really improved. And, you know, I think a good calving gate and I love showing up to do a section and you just see I'm there assessing the situation and I'm I, I'm a big person as well to stand back from a situation and try and focus because I had a few accidents on farm I've had a few very close misses and very serious like I was very lucky now I've had a broken finger and stitches in my head and yeah a few bits that happened and yeah you really learn from them and I think that's why I'm so passionate about it because I think you do need to sit back and just and I've walked away from far I've walked away from farms as well that literally the situations were so dangerous that um you couldn't continue so I was just like right we'll come back another day or you know obviously not when it's like a calving or something I think it was something like a tb test that I walked away from and rang the department and said that the facilities were too dangerous and the farmers were putting themselves at risk as well so yeah so that'd be one of my my uh favorite things pieces of kit uh anything to do with keeping cows uh, and farmers and everyone safe on farm i was going to i was going to ask something um hazel with the um obviously we, you used a lot of the kind of social media bits um for kind of uh, for, for kind of showing people what you're doing and kind of communicating with people and giving the reality of, of kind of the, the day-to-day life of, of kind of vet and veterinary medicine how have you kind of how have you found that in what often when it comes to farming, people often not not correctly always see it as this very traditional sort of industry where people don't always necessarily embrace things as kind of quickly as, as that. And have you found that people sort of um, the farmers you work with and people that have been in the kind of community, the agriculture community, have been quite keen on this sort of this side of it, the sort of social media side of it? Yes, Um I suppose yes and no. There's always going to be people that are very much um, happy for you to take, um, I suppose, pictures of the weird and wonderful or even something like, you know, um, a nice calf shed or something like that. And then you've got people that are more private and you can you kind of you kind of know where to push boundaries and not. And I think that obviously um, asking consent and asking, you know, is it okay if I take a picture of this and yeah, and sometimes it's a bit embarrassing because you're like, oh, it's for my Instagram and, you know, and they wouldn't know. But then I think as my kind of following grew, people had said to other farmers, oh, you're following Hazel, she's on Instagram. You follow? Oh, and they were all clients of mine. And then it kind of got a bit like, oh, God, they're all they're all following me now. <laughs> and um, yeah, like it definitely grew. I think it, I think even during the lockdown, I think the popularity of it all kind of grew because everyone was just at home and they couldn't see anyone, you know, couldn't see anyone. And they were kind of interested in kind of what's going on in the farm, other farms around the country. And I think people really kind of embraced maybe, I suppose, out of like, you know, nothing else was going on that they embraced using social media to show what they were doing. And there's a fantastic both ag and vet community on Instagram. And I'm probably right in the middle because I farm at home with dad, but then I'm also a large animal vet. So I kind of have like a really strong link to the ag community, but then also a really strong link to the vet community. And I get a lot of opportunities and, you know, I don't like, I'm here talking to you guys today. Um, I, you know, like get, you know, calf jackets are, you know, it's fantastic that, that I get to promote these things that actually help the welfare of animals and, and, um, 
yeah I just really enjoy it and for me like I think I got you know you can you can get kind of bombarded by people kind of asking oh can I send you this and can I send you that and you have to be very careful about what you actually kind of I suppose sign up to and 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 that's a whole new world for me because it's very nice to get asked um do you want to get sent this new product and and actually I have learned that unless I've really used it in practice or seen it on farm or you know I've really read up about it and I just very wary of 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 what I do promote these days and I'm always you know just I suppose I really want the education side of it that's kind of my world like I I want so say if I was promoting I don't know something for scour it would be about how to prevent scour that we wouldn't really need this product or you know all of this this kind of stuff and I love I love yeah the educational posts I love putting up my life as well my dogs and my my I suppose showing the beauty of where I live in Cork and yeah it's kind of you never know what you could get on my page I could be shopping one day and I could be you know covered in muck pulling a calf the next day so it's (laughs) it's good I really enjoy it I do I really enjoy it but um yeah it's opened a lot of doors for me which I'm very grateful for I just think it's fabulous how in an industry that's previously been dominated by men that you are just such an advocate for women in agriculture and that's that's not just farm vetting but in overall agriculture whereby you're inspiring the next generation that this is a career path that we can not only do but we can also do it well and thrive yeah and there's a massive uh, women in ag community on on instagram like and i suppose i'm very much instagram based i wouldn't be on twitter or any of these places but in fairness, like I love how we can we can talk about you know different aspects of farming with each other, and you know it's okay now to put up that you've got your nails done on farm, and that it's okay to be girly and also be a farmer, and it doesn't make you any worse of a farmer if you get your hair done. Um, so it's good to kind of break those stereotypes, and even like I've noticed that there's a lot more women kind of attending the marts now. A lot of you know daughters, I see them up in tractors. I definitely see there's a shift because when I was young, like I used to go out with my dad, I was an only child. So it was just me. And, you know, I used to go to the mart and I used to go and I felt out of place. And now I do feel there's definitely a shift um, in in the ag world that there's so many more women involved. And even with my like clients as well, um, you know, they might have sons and daughters, but the daughters are out and like some of them would run rings around the sons in fairness. So I'm like go girl power and they're brilliant and it's and, and like their their dads and look I, I've had a, a lot of female farmers as well like they're just so proud of their daughters on farm and really giving it a go and getting stuck in and and yeah it's it's been a real good like a real journey actually the last eight years being on different farms and seeing how many more young females are actually really embracing it I'm really proud yeah that really is great to hear it's it's so good to know that there are now so many more women in agriculture and doing so well I know what you mean about um, the marts because um, marts are quite intimidating places, aren't they? Um, especially if you haven't really been very very often, very much a male-dominated environment. You sometimes got the impression that all of the farming men, sort of that was their kind of get-together almost. That was their version of the pub, but it was on a Saturday morning. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's nice to hear that that's becoming more accessible to women and um, that that's a change that's happening out there. Yeah, there's also women-only... Um 
uh, kind of discussion groups now as well being being um implemented across Ireland there's that there's a, a women in agriculture movement um trying to get better terms with uh, EU subsidies for women farmers and yeah things are things are really moving and it's it's great that there's a voice you know social media has given us a voice um to to implement these things at European you know level so it's it's great I just um, had a, a small comment about social media, just coming back to that. Um, social media obviously has been associated with things like poor mental health and especially in children. But do you find that in the farming community with being able to have Instagram pages for ag and for vets as well, do you find that actually that's in a way bringing people closer together and having positive effects on, on mental health in the farming community? 100% because I, I do think even I'm part of a fabulous group on Instagram. It's called the Ag Support Group, and it's full of um, quite high-profile um, ag Irish ag accounts. And I'm very lucky, and I'm actually part of a part of a second one now as well that started up kind of more more based on um, I suppose promoting Irish agriculture in social media and how we do it to the best of our ability. But the the support group. God, we talk about everything. It's like a real, it's like a WhatsApp group, but we're all part of this. And like, you know, we we had, there was a bad news last month about, about a farmer up the country and, you know, he committed suicide and it was, we were talking about it. And one of the girls actually said, guys, I know it's springtime, but my DMs are always open. Like, even if you don't know me very well, just talk to me. And we are all like that. Like, I do feel, and sometimes you might see someone on Instagram and you, you know there might be something gone wrong on the farm and I'll always give a message and just be like I said you know say oh look tomorrow will be better today's today's crap but tomorrow will be better and um you know we're, we're all like I'm always here if you want to have a chat and I've been or I've been in this situation before and yeah like I you just have these conversations with, with people and it's very odd now that lockdown is is over that I've actually met some of these people in, in real life and we're actually like really good friends um, and we've never met each other in person and we just because we have so much in common and we just talk very openly to each other and it's great when people reach out to you and you know even as a vet some people you know if maybe they might have tb reactors or I don't know like things that happen or like lose a cow or lose a calf or they just just need a bit of reassurance or something that that it wasn't their fault or something like that because we can take it very to heart when something goes wrong in ag because we love our animals we love what we do and yeah it can hit you like a brick sometimes so yeah it's good to have people to talk to because farming is lonely it is a lonely life um and especially when you weren't able to go to the marts and things like that it was it was it was a really lonely place and um, but thank god it seems to be coming out the other end now and um like i know young farmers is is in the uk we have mocker and firma here in in ireland and it's a fantastic outlet for young farmers to get together and, and and meet up but yeah totally agree and i would say that that i've seen it working in action helping each other through this group on instagram that we're that and i'm sure there's there's hundreds of more groups like that it's just i'm that's the one i'm part of That is just fantastic. I mean, although I've known about mental health within the farming community, just knowing that there are support groups out there to help farmers is great. Because as you've said, Hazel, it can be a really lonely job. And just being able to send out a message saying, you know what, 
this has happened today, I've lost a calf, or, you know, I've been shut down with TB, mm. and I'm feeling pretty rubbish about it, and getting support from people who understand and can relate to your situation can make all the difference. And it really is something everyone should be making the most of, because wherever you are in the world, there is always someone who is happy to listen and just give advice where they can. Well, that's been a really interesting chat. I'd just like to say a huge thank you to Hazel for joining us on the podcast. And for those that haven't yet, check out her Instagram page, Vets on the Move, and have a listen to Vet Space, her podcast. We'll be back next month for another episode of Focal Point. Until then, please take a look at our social media platforms for lots more great imaging content. Until then, it's a goodbye from all of us. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us, Hazel. Nice to speak to you. Bye. Lovely to meet you, Hazel. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks, Hazel. Bye-bye, everybody.